Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and these are intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. And today we have two guests who live up to that. They are the industry's biggest names, as in they are the first in their kind to create the first museum dedicated exclusively to Broadway, appropriately named the Museum of Broadway. They, they have such a, a wonderful friendship and longstanding uh, background together, working together in various like immersive events and, and audience experiences. That's the best way to call it. It's like when you walk into a, a, a place like, um, I, I use the, the metaphor of Disney World of when you're waiting in line, Disney does such a good job of creating the atmosphere, putting you in the world of the ride you're about to experience. And that's what the two of them together in their various roles outside of Museum of Broadway have yeah, they do. And to hear the background, the story, how they put it all together is just, it's fascinating. It's something a little bit different. But now taking that love, that expertise and applying it to the Broadway space, they've created not only a museum, which Broadway desperately needs to document everything and, and educate, but also the way they present it. It's, it. it's moving from room to room. You're moving from era to era, from set to set, from... Uh, I just I can't explain it. It's just phenomenal, and I cannot wait to share this with you. You've got to go to the museum next time you're in in New York. It's right there in the heart of Times Square. So, like I always say, find me online: Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. Leave a rating, leave a review, tell a friend. That's how this podcast will grow, and how we can continue to make such amazing episodes like this. And now, everybody, please enjoy this episode with Julie Boardman and Diane Nicoletti. We have another two-guest episode today. Longtime friends whose personal stories I cannot wait to dive into. First to be introduced here on the podcast is Julie Boardman, a two-time Tony Award-winning producer who's currently a co-pro on the Broadway revival of Funny Girl. Oh, man, I'm sure you're enjoying yourself with that one right now. Additional Broadway credits include an American in Paris, uh, Carousel, the recent revival of Company, Dames at Sea, Head Over Heels, one of my personally favorite shows of all time. I love it. Huey, Indecent, and The Inheritance, in addition to an amazing swath of tours and West End productions. And then our other guest is Diane Nicoletti, a creative director, producer, and entrepreneur who for two decades now has produced some of the biggest events and fan experiences, including the Game of Thrones fan experience, Gretzky's Retirement Gala, and brand activations at the Super Bowl, Comic-Con, CES, South by Southwest, and she's the founder of the award-winning experiential, that's a hard word, experiential marketing agency, Rubik Marketing, and have has had the privilege of working on uh, amazing properties such as Game of Thrones, Deadpool, Frozen, Hotel Transylvania, Dumbo, Shark Tank, uh, American Horror Stories, Ghostbusters. God, the list goes on forever. And this whole experiential event thing is fascinating. Can't wait to talk about it. Together, they finally, after a little bit of a delay, you know, due to this little pandemic thing, co-founded and opened the Museum of Broadway, the first of its kind, right in the heart of Times Square. Julie and Diane, oh, after all that bio reading, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Um, and I even have one more credit to add, too. Can you believe it? What's that? A Doll's House. 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The, that's right. So <laughs> Doll's House is. Uh, it's got longer. I I think a great place to start is just explaining your connection, the connection to the uh, that the two of you have together, because like it, it seems to me that you're sort of an unlikely pair maybe is or i guess tell the story of how you met and why you started working together and what was your first project yeah well so we went to college together um at the university of southern california and we were in the same yeah and we were in the same sorority that's really how we met (laughs) julie was um, president of the sorority Yeah, so we've been long, long time friends. Um, and we didn't start working together until probably, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe now at this point. Um, at one point in my, um, in that long list of things that you said I did, um, I also have been running an event staffing agency. And so Diane would hire my company to basically like bring brand ambassadors and help bring it to life, um, the events that she created. So we worked together on like tons of events over the years. I'm a relative newbie to the world of interactive events. And so I think that's actually, so I want to back up and like sort of get a, a general, I don't know, explanation or whatever. So when we're talking about experiential events, what exactly does that mean? So like you know uh uh diane you're you're saying um you've worked on fan experiences what what the hell is a fan experience (laughs) well when you when you think of like how films and tv shows and brands like promote obviously there's like the traditional advertising where it's a commercial spot or you'll see like a print ad or things like that and i don't know it, it probably about like 15 20 years ago i would say like a lot of these brands started creating these experiential promotions where you start actually getting into the world of the brand. So people wanted to like touch and feel and and experience that, especially when it was something related to a a show that they really liked or a film that they, that they really wanted to embrace. And so, um, so that's kind of, that's kind of the world of experiential. Um, And I got into that, gosh, yeah, like 15, 20 years ago at this point, um, and as did Julie. And so, you know, it, each of the different types of experiences was very different, but like a Game of Thrones experience, people wanted to see the costumes, they wanted to see the props, but then we recreated like the world of Westeros. So you could actually be in these different worlds um, within the show or Deadpool dive into the different characters and get these selfie rooms and things like that. And so um, it was great. It's great for the brands because then you take a photo, you share it, et cetera. So um, it's sort of really resonated. And that's that's a big part of when we started brainstorming about the museum, how we wanted to approach the museum. So versus it being a flat, like a flatter experience, we wanted to make sure that it was going to be something you could really immerse yourself into. That's interesting uh, because when I, when I think about the actual logistics that go into building the set, building these experiences, right? What's the difference between hiring an actual set designer and and a movie uh, anyone who's going to build a set like the person who whoever built the set for game of thrones did you reach out to them and you're like we need something that doesn't cost 53 6.2 million dollars <laughs> that's going to last 
two months in Times Square. Like, how does how does the production side of it work? Because this to me is is fascinating that you wouldn't just hire the same people, or do you hire the same people? Well, no. I mean, we usually don't, but we take a lot of direction from the scenic designers. So if we're working with HBO, they obviously have the rights to their full. Um, you know, the full IP, if you will. And so from that standpoint, we get a lot of like mood boards and maybe blueprints and things like that to help like recreate it, but in bite-sized form. So we can't create this gigantic world because that would take over a good majority of not even Times Square, like of a section of New York. And you just can't <laughs> really have that size of an experience, right? So so you create these like smaller versions of it. Um, and a lot of the people that work on the shows go from gig to gig to gig. So they actually can't really, you know, stop and do something from an experiential standpoint. So there's all these great fabricators and designers that I've worked with over the years. Um, and many of them actually worked on uh, the Museum of Broadway too. So Square Fabricate, uh, Square Design out of Brooklyn um, created a lot of these different worlds and then worked on the Museum of Broadway with us. So when you're saying fabricators, you're saying people or companies who, who take like a, a, a drawing or a model a scale model and like have to figure out how to build it as a one-time thing it's not a, a mass-produced entity right yeah so kind of our process was um first we had the first we had the concept if you will and this is very much what we would do with um our our clients and and brands as well is that you have the concept what are what is that experience going to be then we work with one of our designers um, and whether that be um, an outside designer or whether that be an internal designer, but they actually create renderings. So 3D renderings of what the look and feel will be of that room or that space. And then from there, we kind of took it to the fabricators to understand how they would build it. And then once it goes to the fabricator, they create shot, like they create shop drawings. They figure out with us and with the designer, what materials are going to be used. So are we talking about wood? Are we talking about sculpted foam? Are we talking about, you know, glitter panels? Like it, it could just go on and on in terms of the different materials that go into building that environment. And then once that's approved, then it gets, into you know really building it um and yeah. then julie and i would go over to square all the time and you know be like we, we like this we don't like this let's improve upon this you know um and then a lot of times the designers because each of the rooms for the museum we partnered with a different artist or designer and so they would come with us to the shop at square design to to guide them too, in terms of like, yes, this is working. This is something that we need to to switch out on. Um, and so we, it was a fun part of the process, and and we were there pretty often. So that's that's fascinating. I mean, I guess it sounds like it's a lot easier slash harder because of different reasons to take this giant mood board, a giant set, and and squish it down into one room or a couple rooms or one experience or whatever. And one of the first things I ever went to in one of these things um, was uh, the Trolls experience, the like the Trolls movie, because I took my kids when they were a lot younger. I took them there in Times Square yeah. or something. It was like a little pop-up. And But yeah, it's, it's fun because you get to walk through the environment, which... As a as a concept, I think for movies and for uh, I guess for brands seems like a relatively new thing. But I mean, Disney's been doing this in their parks for decades. You know, you've got that sort of 
precedent that gets set. And I love, I, I've always loved what they've done uh, in in the queue, the 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 line waiting to get in. They make the atmosphere, they set the mood, and they set the music, and they make you part of it. So when you go on the ride, you've already like your brain is already there. I love that. But so, Julie, you said you had a an event company or have an event company and then and then diane you i guess so you were one of the (laughs) vendors that julie would hire and gosh i'm I'm thinking back well it's kind of reverse yeah yeah Yeah. okay so 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 uh, yeah so what i did do i can explain that yeah please 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 the pieces might fit together um So I ended up starting um, an event staffing agency, hiring Broadway performers like who are basically between shows and needed a gig so they could go audition and and live their life. Um, and so I started that in I think it was two thousand nine. Um, with uh, my first thing I did, what I worked on um, was a vitamin water ten pop up shop in Soho, and then that led to the next and led to the next, and it ended up being a lot of you know, great work um, around people's schedules when when they were available um, and then they could go audition and live their life. Um, and so it's really cool because a lot of those people have gone on and are like big movie stars now. And so it's, it's pretty cool that the things that we did have enabled them to like, you know, go to that audition and book that job and, and all of that while living in New York City. So you, you take credit um, for launching pe- their careers. That's, I understand. No, that. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just got to help a little bit, help a little bit to pay their rent. Um, <laughs> the important thing. Yeah. Um, no, but it was, it was really, it was really cool. And after a while, um, you know, I realized I wasn't necessarily living my dream. I was helping them to live theirs. And I was like, what is my dream? And I realized I wanted to be on the producing end in Broadway. And so that kind of started, you know, at the same time as I was continuing to do this work. Um, And Diane was one of my clients. And so when she would have an event that she had put together and um, created, um, she would then hire me to staff the people who worked at the event and help to like bring it to life and kind of like on-site management with the people and stuff like that. So we we worked together for many, many years. Um, and I think, you know, without that, we would never have what we created with the Museum of Broadway because it's really a marriage of that world with Broadway, I guess. That's... That makes sense. Okay, I, I'm a big Disney nerd. So I'm in my brain, it's all getting compared to Disney. And I love, 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 love when you go to like the Haunted Mansion at Disney World or uh, the Tower of Terror, um, the, the the people who help you maintain the queue who are helping, you know, corral, they're all in character. They're like, welcome to the Haunted Mansion, right? That takes acting. That's that's an actor. So it makes it makes total sense now how the two of you have started working together and why <laughs> you start hiring Broadway actors, because why not? Uh, they're right in our backyard. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Back up, I guess, for both of you. And, and um, Julie, I'll start with you. Like, where did your love for theater even come from? Why why theater in the first place? Um, 
When I was five, I went to, like, my parents tried me out in softball and soccer and the things that, you know, every child, I think, does. And um, my neighbor across the street was doing a children's theater production of Annie. And so we just went to go see it. And I turned to my mom and I said, that's what I want to do. And literally, then I was in, like, the next show that that children's theater um, produced, which was The Sound of Music. And I was a goat in the lonely goat herd. <laughs> so mm. Really, really big, cool things in my past. Um, but no, I, like, have always had <laughs> from that moment, I guess, like, a love of, of theater and performing and singing, dancing, acting. That became my entire life. Um and in college, after I graduated um, at USA, I ended up um, majoring in music industry and like working at a record label when I first moved to New York. But my um, my passion has always been um, Broadway and like theater. And so I went with my roommate on an audition for 42nd Street and I booked the national tour. And I was like, oh, crazy. And so I quit my job and I went on tour. And then when I came back, I did like the agent thing. I got an agent. I worked in a restaurant. Um, I had, and then I had all these friends from auditioning um, and randomly fell into being like a promotional model brand ambassador myself and then started this company and then all the rest of the story that you heard before. So um, yeah, I've just, it's, you know, theater has been my, my whole life. Kids, you know, would listen to cool things like, top hits on the radio or whatever and I would be like in the car listening to like Broadway show tunes because that was the thing I loved the most yeah yeah me too me too, <laughs> me, too. me too yeah, yeah. So, so I know Diane, like every word to everything <laughs> oh, as you as you should there's no judgment this is a safe space we, we are the theater yeah. podcast so you can you can nerd out I as much it. as you want yeah, yeah. <laughs> Diane where no, about it? your fun. love for your love for performing uh, and I mean, creating these events, you're you're creating an atmosphere, which, uh, yeah, so I'll let you tell your story. Where did this all come in? Yeah, um, well, I grew up in Hershey, Pennsylvania, Pen Hershey, Pennsylvania, um, and I did, you know, dance from kindergarten through my senior year of high school and was in the musicals. I was like a, a chunk monk is what we would call myself or uh yeah, a skunk monk, sorry, in Peter Pan, because I was like half chipmunk, half skunk, because they didn't have like the full costume. So that was kind of funny. Uh, but then I was like a nun, Aunt Eller, Marty and Grease. So like, you know, really got into that in high school. And then I was in a group called Pro Productions. And so that actually, we put on the musical, we put on Homecoming, we put on the prom, etc. And so that's, one of the first places where I really started doing events, if you will. And then all my internships in college, you know, working at Staples Center and Staples Center Foundation, got to do a lot with like the Lakers and the Kings and such. Um, and then I went into, you know, doing Super Bowl activations and then eventually just started my own agency. Um, and so really sort of snowballed from there. Uh, but I've always been a fan. Like I've never, outside of the high school performance, which I want to say I don't count, but like a little bit, <laughs> like I never professionally pursued it. Um, you know, I just always was a fan and, and loved coming to New York and, and seeing Broadway shows. And so, um, you know, one of the rooms that we have is the Phantom of the Opera room. And when I took my brother around, that was the first show that we ever saw on Broadway. And we both got like so emotional, like being in the room and reminiscing about our first time going to see a Broadway show. So yeah, so a little different than Julie, but but still a fan of Broadway. No, it's it's. I, I was hoping 
that you said exactly what you said, which was, I just decided to do my own thing. And it seems like both of you at some point were just, you were just like, well, I'm just going to create my own work because for whatever the reason, like, you know, Diane, you're saying I, I just started my own agency. I, you know, there's reason behind why you started your own agency, I'm sure. And then like Julie, you were, uh, you quit your job, went on tour, came back and then started your own company. And I, I just love how, I guess it makes the most sense. You guys knew each other since college and have worked together and you're both, you seem like a similar mon- mindset of just, well, if it doesn't exist, let's just go create it, which I think is a lovely transition to get to dive into the museum of Broadway because uh, like when the, when I first heard about it, it was like, Oh yeah. Why isn't there a museum of Broadway? There's an ice cream museum. There's a spy museum. There's a sex museum there. Like New York has every kind of museum and people come to New York for Broadway. Why is there not a Broadway museum? So can you tell the story of like, you know, the late night drinking session where you were like, oh, let's just make a museum and make our lives even harder. <laughs> How did that you're come not, about? Not, oh my gosh. Not, <laughs> I was just going to say, you're not totally far off. I don't know if it, we were totally slurring at that point, but like we definitely uh, had, uh, we, we had wine and Julie, is Julie's idea. And she came up to me and she was just like, yeah, someone was telling me about like, you know, or why they ask the question of like, why is there not a museum dedicated to Broadway? And Julie stopped and was like, yeah, I guess there isn't one. And then when she shared that with me, I was like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Like, why isn't there one? That's ridiculous. And so then we just started, it took a little bit, but then we just started whiteboarding and coming up with how we would approach it. You know, probably not even really realistically thinking we were going to be able to do it or pursue it, but just for fun, (laughs) like brainstorming. And then and then it started getting real and people it resonated with folks. And, you know, Julie had the smart idea of taking it around on like sort of a goodwill tour um, within the Broadway community to just make sure people had um, a sense of it felt comfortable with the way we were approaching it and everything um, before we got too far down the rabbit hole. And then it was just sort of step by step along the way, you know, building the team out, building the creative concept out, you know, so on and so forth. I guess for those who don't, who don't know, uh, I mean, it's like, it's a self-guided museum where it takes an average of like an hour and a half, right, to walk end to end for most people. And well, I guess, yeah, describe, describe, the highlights for those who don't know, because I know that it it celebrates the game changers of Broadway, which to me, um, one of my one of my standard closing questions that I will ask you too, and um, spoiler, so I normally don't give you this much advance notice, but I ask at the end, like, what's one show if you could see for the rest of your you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it over and over again, what would it be? Don't answer it yet. We'll get at the end. But my answer is Rent, because it's one of those shows that just changed the game. It made it accessible, and and we have. And like every show that that you think back on that have been like, oh, this is this is uh, something that changed the format that made it made theater uh, open to a new a new demographic, a new group of people, a new generation of people. You've got a step along the journey in the museum to celebrate it. And every in these rooms. So you've got like Rent and Oklahoma and Phantom. Uh, you get the, the like these costumes and the original costumes in some cases are replicas of these amazing, amazing things. And I guess when you were storyboarding it all out, A, 
why decide on this format? Why does why not just have like an art museum of sorts of like here's a bunch of props and here's a bunch of costumes? Why why sell why do the immersive <laughs> side of it? And then the other is how did you narrow this down? Yeah, those are really great questions. Um, when we were whiteboarding, um, I was also giving Diane kind of a crash course in like the Broadway community and how it all operates and the different relationships and everything. Um, and so taking a, that helped to guide, I think, some of the um, experience in the museum because we really wanted to make sure, like the first room that you come into is the Playbill room. And it's every single theater, 41 of them, organized alphabetically by theater. And everyone gets the exact same amount of space, whether you're a super long running show like Phantom of the Opera or The Lion King, or you're a limited run of a, of a play. Or, you know, we wanted to make sure that um, people got to see how, how much theater is going on in New York every single night. Um, because a lot of people, when they come to New York, they know those bigger titles, but they don't realize all like, the diversity of, of offerings of shows. Um, and so you start there, and it is very like Switzerland, if you will. Um, and then you go... <laughs> And then you go um, into, you know, you walk through the store that says, let's start at the very beginning and you go into the map room. That's what we call it. Um, but it's the history of the theaters in New York City. So they started in the financial district. And then how did Times Square and Broadway become what they are? And it's just a really fascinating story that Diane and I thought was interesting. And so we wanted to dedicate a room to that so people could get a sense and understand that. So when you're in there, it's about a four minute video. Um, and that story comes to life before your eyes. And Julie James does the voiceover, Jen Tepper curated the content. And, you know, it's, it's basically all about the buildings. And then you start walking the timeline of Broadway, starting with the first documented performance in New York in 1732. And then you get, you go all the way through to present day, which continues to grow and expand, right? every day there's new show, shows opening and um so as we were again back to the whiteboarding we we're like how do you show there's so many different ways you could um or one could approach like making a museum or, you know dedicated to broadway um there's so many plays and musicals and people and these you know groundbreaking moments and then that was sort of like a, a bit of an aha moment i guess when we figured that out we were like oh well, what if what if you, you know, uh, people in general can agree that rent, you know, was a major shift, right, in in the theater that was shown or Oklahoma in its moment. Um, and so when you look through that lens, um, it actually, you know, it's a smaller list. So as you're walking through the museum, through this timeline, you have these um, timeline walls that are much more like what you would expect to see in a museum um, in terms of like content. So it's plays, musicals, and then these groundbreaking milestone moments. Um, ben West uh, was our timeline curator there. And, um, and you'll see, you know, uh, things that represent the different shows. So maybe like a you know, a handwritten lyric sheet, or maybe a photo, it may be, you know, all sorts of different things to represent um, the shows or the people, these like moments. And then you get to an exhibit designed by either a Broadway uh, scenic designer or um, an artist from outside of 
of Broadway who, um, you know, we had kind of the seed of the idea, if you will, and then, you know, found artists or designers to match that. And then they obviously took it kind of to the next level. Um, and so the room comes to life around you and you're like immersed in the Ziegfeld Follies. And then in Showboat, it's a paper artist. And then in Oklahoma, you're walking through a cornfield. And um, in West Side Story, you're in Doc's Drugstore. So each each is, um, you know, has its own spin. And then, you know, Diane mentioned earlier, Game of Thrones owns all their IP. We actually had to go to all of the estates um, and authors to um, get permission in order to do the the exhibits around the shows and work with them, um, you know, as we were going as well. Um, and so you end up getting all the way to present day. Um, and then you knock on a stage door and you go backstage into how do you make a Broadway show and what are all the different jobs that you could have? And, and you know, I think people know, you know, to be an actor, but they don't realize um you know, how many jobs it takes, or, you know, they might know that there's a costume designer, but like all the artisans behind that person. So, and we wanted to kind of expose that and um, worked with David Rockwell and his team to put that together. Um, and that was just like an important thing as we were going through is just showing people a little bit behind the curtain. Um, it, and hopefully it helps people to experience Broadway a bit differently when they go to see the next show, they look at it and instead of just loving the show there, they have a deeper appreciation, I think. Um, and then we have a special exhibit which rotates um, and then you exit um, through the gift shop. You also enter through the gift shop and it's open to the public whether they come to the museum or not. Um, and then something else that was really important to us again while we were whiteboarding is um, you know, education, kind of the next generation, all that piece of it. And so we we made sure that we created a rehearsal studio that doubles as an event space so we can have, you know, panel discussion, master classes, all sorts of programming like that to kind of be a further, you know, you know, place for people to learn. Um, and so, you know, as Diane said, step-by-step step is very much my motto. So we're like, let's open a museum. And then now it's running. And then now we'll start to expand the programming um, that we offer in that in that space, which is really exciting. Um, and it's, you know, the the museum is a, you know, the community kind of coming together to make this happen because it hasn't existed before. Um, and so, you know, we say it's like, you know, by the community and, and all the things, because it's really a lot of people, you know, coming together to make this possible. So yeah, and to have a place that celebrates Broadway in the middle of Times Square, it does seem really obvious. So <laughs> I think Diane and I are a little bit like humbled and just really grateful that we were the ones to be able to help make this happen and put our spin on it from our past, you know, experience in in all the fan activations and and um, promotional events and things like that. So we tried to make something that we thought people would like and even up until we opened we were like we hope people like this <laughs> and then it turns out it turns out they do we're going to take a short break stay tuned for more of the episode diane is this your first foray into broadway producing i mean because it, it is yeah 
I've, <laughs> I've uh, I guess I've invested in some shows in the past, but not produced anything. And is Broadway. it as, is it as easy and simple and straightforward as you as ever expected it to be? It is not. (laughs) (laughs) Your eyes went so wide. It definitely is not. It is not. I mean, I do. I do think like any any production, whether it be film, television. There's so many layers, and there's so many people that are involved. There's always a complication, a good complication, but a complication with that. Um, but I think that, yeah, Broadway, Broadway just has like a little bit of a different way that they conduct business. I think a little, a little different than at least the experience that I have in other industries. Oh, it's yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of insane. Um, how complicated it is. And, and I, I don't, I don't quite understand, uh, why this is. But it fe- it feels like to me that Broadway is sort of the last, um, not maybe the last, but one of one of the final to adopt new technology or to embrace kind of uh, new things because they want to keep doing what works, right? Because it's proven entity. So was that for the two of you breaking into this space in like you're introducing a museum into a typically theatrical performance based uh, medium? But as you were breaking in, trying, or I guess not breaking in, because you're both involved with entertainment in your own way, but like integrating your own skill sets into the Broadway space, uh, what was sort of the biggest challenge for each of you that you had to to overcome to get the museum to where it is now? And put, put COVID aside for a second, because supply chain issues and you're literally constructing in the middle of a pandemic, that's understood. And we'll acknowledge that. But outside of that, the whole yeah. business side of it, what was sort of the most surprising? Yeah, I want to touch on one one thing you said, just of like Broadway being a little bit, excuse me, behind the curve. Um, I remember being at a conference um, and I don't know if it was like, this was way before the museum, I think, like existed and the whiteboarding and all of that. But I remember being at a Broadway conference and everyone was talking about how do we get millennials to come to Broadway and, you know, continue to grow the audience and all of these things. And, um, And at the time I was working on uh, my staffing agency on a VR experience um, for Marriott. And, um, and I had said to someone at the conference, like, what if you like show people like what Broadway looks like or something? So I kind of wonder if that was like a little germ of the idea. We didn't go as far as VR in the, in the museum, but, um, but we do have AR and all sorts of, all sorts of things. And I think, you know, we really wanted it to be, dazzling and push things forward and we'll continue to like grow and evolve um that piece of it i think over time um sorry diana totally jumped in but go ahead no mine mine was going to be a little bit different in terms of the process i guess what you were just saying like in terms of like the challenges i think you know at the end of the day this was a stretch for both of us i mean a like a museum of broadway hasn't existed before so there were things that both of us you know, we always say like we have very different strengths and weaknesses, which is maybe a good thing like for our partnership. Um, you know, Julie is so, so great with like the networking and the relationships and everything like that. And I very much feel comfortable in back of house. <laughs> so like, and I'm really more of like the production side, like on the end and, you know, working with 
you know, square fabricator and, you know, dealing all with all of the other like lighting and the tech and everything like that. And so anyway, so we complement each other really well. But, you know, for me, I had never done major construction before, you know, we would work with GCs here and there, depending on if we were taking over a space temporarily for um, like a pop up, but we never really needed to do anything permanent. And so that meant not necessarily needing to work with GCs. So outside of my own personal experience, like, you know, doing renovations in my house and things like that, I didn't have that professional experience. So we hired a construction project manager, because that was a place we, you know, we obviously had a hole, we had a gap, and we needed someone that that knew what to do and could guide us appropriately. Um, you know, and similarly, and Julie can talk about the things that, you know, she hadn't done before, whether that be licensing or things like that, that, you know, we had either lawyers help us or other folks kind of help guide us in how we would approach it. So, you know, we're really lucky that we were able to find really amazing let's call them teammates, because it really was sort of that team approach to the museum to help us where, you know, we couldn't know everything, we didn't know everything. And so all of these folks really helped us make it better than we could, you know, that we could do on our own. So I think that that challenge isn't maybe the right word, but new understanding new things and you know not feeling bad about asking what might be a dumb question to some people but just because we didn't know it and so then asking that question filling the gap and then you know taking the steps forward yeah, do you, either certainly. of you now that you're on the <laughs> other side of it you it it just opened i mean it was scheduled to open a while back but covid delayed it and it just opened november 15th right i have that right um so congratulations it's now finally here now finally open a couple months in it what was sort of do each of you have like a, a standout pinch me moment you know if you're you have jane krakowski walking through or authentic costumes that are on display or like anthony rap came and 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 was there in the rent room like any of this stuff you're looking at these people in these spaces that have helped change our 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 entire culture a global culture i i might say in in some respects right so you've got these people that you're working with now like at, at any point where either of you like holy crap i'm here working with so and so or this person's here and they're crying <laughs> because of this or whatever it is you know, I think it's that step-by-step -step mentality. So as these really cool moments were happening, we're still like in the thick of it, like getting things done. And think I, the moment that popped to my, my head, it was um, Andrew Lloyd Webber and his wife came through. And wow. um, and that was pretty cool. And we they came through before we opened. So we're still construction, finalizing things. So I don't think until after it happened that it really sunk in, like what a major moment that was um and part way walking through to um you know when we got to the room that you know there's a wall and he's on it and then you know you turn the corner and then you're in the exhibit about phantom of the opera and um i kind of had this moment like, i hope he likes it <laughs> and, <laughs> and and they did and you know at the at the end i think he used the word brilliant of like talking about what we had created and it was just yeah it was a pretty pretty mind-blowing moment but i don't think it sunk in until a bit 
later because in the moment we just had so many things happening and we were, you know, getting to the finish line and we were going to open on time and all the pieces that were, were happening. Um, but, um, yeah, so that was like a moment for me, I guess. Um, I had like a one thing from before too, that I was thinking about is just the real, the real estate piece of it. Um, you know, we didn't know where it would land or how it would land. It was like finding the home was kind of the most important. We looked at so many places that, um, you know, anything that was like between 20 and 40,000 square feet in the middle of Times Square. Um, and we were lucky to find this landlord also who also like got it and believed in, you know, what we wanted to create, um, you know, I never knew I could raise so much money. Like I had raised money for Broadway before, but never of this magnitude. And the people in the Broadway community like really came together um, to make this happen and, you know, couldn't do it without everyone who's been involved so far. Um, So anyways, it's just been kind of a dream come true. I think also just the reception, Um, you know, like Julie said, we weren't, we were hoping that people were going to really like it, but until you get people in the door, like you don't really know. And so from that standpoint, that was, that was really good, you know, in terms of, of that feeling, you know, uh, pretty much every single review has been good, like, or really good, I should say, in terms of, you know, being very complimentary about like the thoughtfulness that went into to designing the museum. So that, that definitely feels good. Um, Tim Rice came early on and he, I mean, he, he's just a lovely gentleman and he was complimenting us and saying how much, you know, you guys have impacted like the culture and, you know, the art form and everything. And that never felt like that was going to be part of this, right? Like, it's like we were doing the thing. (laughs) We weren't necessarily creating art necessarily, but now I guess we have in a cultural institution in some ways. And I think that was a little bit of the, oh, wow, I I guess we are. And that, and that is something that sort of surprised us and a little bit of that pinch me moment that it made such an impact. You're, essentially creating an installation I and mean, it's a permanent installation right uh that in theory can outlast every other show that you're talking about that is part of it and like wicked someday may close and lion king someday may close and all of these institutions that you think of when you think of broadway and times square and then hopefully fingers crossed the museum of broadway is going to just be there forever and be able to document the history of broadway now going forward and i think that's i think that's a massive accomplishment uh that that's part of the pinch me moment i think that uh, that i would take away from all of this is that it's helping to create something that's literally going to help record history and on an open-ended basis and because you can change as the industry changes, you're still documenting the industry, but you just continue and continue. I think it's just brilliant. So congratulations on on opening and getting there and <laughs> raising so much money. I know it was the the business side, the producing side of Broadway is uh, is quite an interesting thing that a lot of people don't know about. They just want to show up and dance around and don't realize, like you said, the amount of staff and jobs and talent it takes. Uh, even within like a costume designing 
entity you still have all these people like someone designs it but then there's someone has to build it and there's people who are sequin experts and other people who are fabric experts and there's all sorts of different things that you need to do so anyway i think it's brilliant so i want to end now with the three closing questions that i foreshadowed earlier so uh let's see diane we'll start with you for this first one there's three questions the first one just very simply is what motivates you what motivates me um trying to do something new that i haven't uh been able to do before Mm, awesome okay julie (laughs) um actually probably the same thing um i think that's a commonality that we have like you know it's finding that next challenge and um perhaps it's disruptive i think that's like a theme in in my life i try to just you know shake things up a little bit um but yeah and you know the challenge and just trying to figure it out and um there's like that quote about if it was easy everyone would do it um Mm -hmm. i think we've sent that back and forth to each other over time (laughs) um (laughs) you know just to keep motivating each other as we as we went through this um you know quite lengthy process to open it um and someone said, you know, you had the baby and now now it's an infant and soon it will be a toddler. And, you know, so it's it's um, it's been a really fun, fun process working on this. All right. So then, uh, Julie, you'll start this next question. Then this is the question. If you can only see one show for the. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. That's the last one. Oh, I'm skipping ahead. OK, so now. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Julie. Second question. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Um, not to listen when people say no and kind of to forge your own path and kind of realize that, you know, because I, I think when you're younger, like out of college, it's like expected that you're supposed to intern and then you're the assistant and then you're the associate and you kind of like work your way up in a company. Um, that was never my path. I, my path has been kind of all over the place. Um, but, you know, it's gotten to me to where I am today, which, you know, will continue to grow and evolve too. So I think, um, yeah, I think just, you know, if you believe in something, go going after it, you know, with your whole heart and, and just the determination, I guess, with the passion and knowing, you know, again, that step-by-step motto, it's very helpful. Just, you know, one step after the next and you, you can do it too. Diane? Uh, it's a tough one because I think I think it's important to have experience. I think it's important to get yourself financially sound to take then the risks to do these bigger things, but it's not everything. So it's trying to have, especially when you're really young, having that balance of being able to, you know, either have a steady job or have a steady income, you know, that could be waiting, that could be bartending, that could be, you know, a a myriad of different things. But, you know, having a control on that, because that's really important. Not everyone, you know, is able to, um, uh, they they have to work, right? You know, and so I think that that's like an important thing to, to remember. But then, also to take those little challenges. So, you know, early on, I was really scared about 
you know, starting out on my own. And I had a dad that, you know, worked for 30 years at Hershey Foods. And, you know, that was sort of the path that you go on. And so I didn't necessarily have, you know, adult role models to take those risks. And so it was very scary. But then once I did, um, it opened up like a whole myriad of different things and experiences that I wouldn't have been able to get if I would have just stayed on one path um, at a job. So, um, but it's, but it's also not for everyone. I think sometimes, you know, entrepreneurship is really glorified and it, it really isn't for everyone. And so if you have a certain lifestyle or path in mind, like, again, maybe it's more of a pet project than a full project. Cause it does, it takes a lot out of you. Gotcha. Wow. True. Yeah. All right. So then, Diane, this is the question. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Mm. Such a good one. Um, I don't know. I, I, listen, I actually listen to the Fan of the Opera soundtrack like all the time. So I don't know. <laughs> I guess probably that one. And then um, and also, too, because it was my first show. So I have the great memories from that. So I'm going to pick Phantom. It's probably cliche, but I like it. Cool. Julie, what's yours? Um, well, I really like your rent answer, but um, so if I can pick two, it that would be one of them. But if I can only pick one, um, I actually think an American in Paris, um, just I, I, I've, you know, was a co-producer on it. It was the first show I was part of on, on Broadway. And I, I'm sure I saw the show over 75, 80, I don't know how many times, and I could continue seeing it and, you know, many, many, many more times just because the, um, the artistry, like, um, on, on the stage was really incredible and just, I don't know. Yeah, I, I really love that show. So. Absolutely love it. Yeah, it yeah. was a good show. So how can we connect with the two of you on social media? Uh, and of course, um, the Museum of Broadway. Uh, plug all your socials. Um, so the museum social is at Museum of Broadway. Um, so we'd love for people to come check us out there um, and kind of see all the things that are happening at the museum. And then yeah, I guess my personal one is Miss Julie Boardman. Mm -hmm. I've never, I've never shared that like publicly before, but well, you don't have you to. Know. We can, <laughs> we can leave it out if you want. No, it's fine. <laughs> I have four kids, so I, I keep mine private. So true, 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 true. All right. So I'll, so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll refrain from uh, sharing mine. <laughs> very, very, very fair. I've always go back and forth. I like, how much do I want to share about my kids? But yeah, I get it. And four kids, congratulations, because totally. doing that and starting a museum wow um that's impressive with, yeah. in and of itself yeah she's superwoman basically <laughs> i don't know no. how she does it i don't know how there's she does it i have a dog like i don't know how it's very <laughs> impressive there's there's two home today so sorry if there was some background noise there's some sicknesses going around oh, so. yeah it's happening it's happening this time of year you can get more so, uh, amazing episodes like this on the theaterpodcast.com. I'm on socials at theater underscore podcast. Leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And Julie and Diane, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. I, I knew about you and I knew about the museum, obviously. And diving into your histories has been, has been really, really cool. So thank you for sharing. Thanks for thank having you us. Thank you so much. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.